Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody tonight. Good to see you out. Nice little group. And God bless all of you online. Thank you. All across this region, we've got folks who are in the D.C. area, who are in the greater northern Virginia area, up and down the seaboard, and up in Pennsylvania right now, folks are tuning in. And across the Midwest, the, the Rust Belt there, and into the Midwest, you know, uh, up and down and in the Mid-South and down in the Deep South. We've got folks in the Panhandle of Florida and folks in um, the Orlando area of Florida that are tuning in, people that are down in the Tampa area that are tuning in, people in Mississippi are tuning in, people out on the West Coast from uh, oh, Arizona and uh, Nevada and California and up in Washington State. I know there are folks tuning in right now because uh, we have... Folks that report in from all those places, and we are so glad to be able to bring the truth of God's Word. Now, when we're finished tonight with our Bible study and go offline, uh, we'll have some things to say about upcoming events, but I do want to encourage you. We do have some sign-up boards. As you come in the entry right there by the Welcome Center, I want you to stop and sign up for our Phil America, Phil Virginia campaign, which begins Saturday and runs 15 days through the um, Christmas Eve Saturday, the 24th. And we're going to try to uh, exceed our previous high number of tracts and other uh, literature that is given out on visitation. And you be part of that. Now this Saturday, we, uh, we clean at 9, but we go visiting at 10. We're going to have a great day kicking this thing off and getting it started. We're going to follow up on some folks. We've got some people that need to be baptized, join the church people that have made decisions for Christ, and we want to follow up with them as well. So we're going to have a great day on Saturday. Between now and then, uh, we've started to really see some movement in our subscriptions and also in uh, the number of hits online. And uh, praise God for all of those that are viewing uh, our various platforms online. So help us with subscriptions, and, uh, and God bless you every day as you do that, as you tune in from the Shepherd to the Sheep, our daily devotional. And don't forget... Sunday, it's the second Sunday of the month of December, and we had a tremendous first Sunday, and we want to have another one as well. We'll be signing the uh, Christmas card going out to missionaries, uh, continuing to sign up for carols and cookies, which will be a week from this Friday, 6.30 here, 7.30 over at Fellowship House. Pray for us tomorrow as we go to Fellowship House for our regular Bible study and try to get everybody lined up. We want to fill that special uh, activities hall with the folks that are coming uh, to be with us for our carols and cookies on the 16th. And then uh, keep in mind, we'll be practicing this Sunday our second and final uh, dress rehearsal practice for our big musicale, which will be on Sunday morning, the 18th at 11 o'clock. Don't forget, we'll also be in church on Christmas Sunday. Don't miss that, the 25th, just a Wonderful atmosphere with family and friends. If you have to be out of town, make sure that you're in the house of the Lord somewhere. Will you take your Bibles tonight and let's turn in 1 Corinthians. Last week, we got two words straightened out. A lot of folks get confused. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would that ye should be, that I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our fathers were all under the cloud, etc. And he talks about Old Testament 
examples. We find the word examples in verse number 6 and the word ensamples in verse number 11. And I pointed out the difference. And when you learn that, you know something that most preachers in America do not know. That is, there's a difference between an example and an ensample. It's more than just an old 1600s spelling. An example is an illustration, a visual aid. Praise the Lord for those. We can say this is an illustration. This is a visual aid. It's an example. But when you say here is a startling thing, experience, group of people, it is so startling that this will arrest your attention and this will, uh, as they used to say about uh, young people that would be exposed to what it was like in prison, scared straight. This will scare you straight. And that's an end sample. An end sample is a high water mark. It's one that will grab your attention. You'll say, man, I don't ever want to go to jail. And some of those uh, wise guys and those smart Alex that thought they were going to be the tough guy in jail, I think the most wonderful thing I've ever seen is when they were put face-to-face, nose-to-nose with some of those hardened criminals who said uh, some very shocking things to them like they couldn't wait for them to come and um, they were going to uh, punch their dance ticket or something like that. And that was scary. And they ought to be scared because prison is no place you want to be. And so they were scared straight. Well, end samples is the same thing. God comes on strong. Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead because they lied to the Holy Ghost. Now that'll get your attention. Uh, that'll straighten out a whole church. That'll straighten out the church across town when they hear about it. And folks will start being honest with God and with each other. Amen. So last week, we got a clear definition of examples which are visuals and end samples which are shocking examples so that people will know to do right and praise the Lord that they do. Now we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians again. And tonight, I'm going to pick up where we left off and I'm going to be speaking on the subject when life's choices are so difficult. How many of you have found that choosing right sometimes is very hard to do? Yes, amen. And uh, it takes a holy resolve, a holy determination. I am resolved no longer to linger. Well, that's what we're going to learn about tonight. I want you to jump ahead to the final verse of the section that we're going to read. I want you to go to chapter 11 and verse number 1. Chapter 11 and verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says to the Corinthians, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now tonight we're going to be electing and re-electing some folks to uh, positions in our church. This is our annual business meeting night. And uh, what we would normally ask would be, uh, uh, for example, uh, Neil Tellier, who is our number two deacon, uh, and uh, uh, Brother Neil, uh, as with God helping you, are you going to try to obey the Bible? With God helping you, are you going to try to be loyal uh, to your church as long as the church follows the Bible? Are you going to try to be loyal to the church membership as long as they're following the Word of God? Are you going to try to be loyal to your preacher as long as he's following the Word of God? Those are the kind of questions you've got to be able to answer in the affirmative. As long as we're following the Word of God, we need to be loyal, supportive, obedient people. We need to be orderly because our God is a God of what? Disorder? No. Is He a God, is he a God who says, yeah, I just love it when you show that, that rebellious streak, that independent streak. That's not the God we serve. 
The God of the Bible wants us to line up with the Word and line up and do right from the heart. And that's what it's all about. What Paul was saying, what I said to our boys, when our boys were little, I said, here's what the Bible says. And if you, uh, you know, don't understand that, then just do what Dad does. And that's really, really, that's a tough assignment, isn't it, for a dad, for a mom, to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and as long as I'm following Jesus, I want my kids to follow me. I want them to obey. I want them to follow my example. And that's what we've got, a holy example here, and we want to be holy examples as well. All right, let's pick it up where we left off. Verse number 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Wherefore, now whenever you see wherefore or therefore, you look and see what it's there for. That's right. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, he's saying, he's referring to the saved people in the church at Corinth as being beloved. Now, when you put the word, the letters B-E on the front of loved and you have beloved, that intensifies it. So they are intensely loved. And Paul sometimes uh, tells them hard things to do, hard things to take, but he is telling them that the grace of God is available and praise the Lord. We're going to see that in 2 Corinthians again when we get to uh, chapter number 12, verses 8, 9, and 10. We know that God's grace is sufficient for us. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now we have sung, I will hasten, hasten to thee. When you flee from something sinful, you flee to the Lord. When you flee from sin and sinful activity, look at me. When you flee from sin, you flee to the Lord. Are you getting it tonight? That's important for us to remember who we flee to. When life's choices are so difficult, when the world, the flesh, and the devil are pulling and tugging and pushing and shoving, then we need to flee to the Lord. We need to find all that we need in Jesus Christ and by His grace. Now, this is important because idolatry can be manifested in many different ways. There is the idolatry of self, of your own ideas, of your own opinions. If it's not God's Word, if it's not from the Word of God, if it's of your mind, and if you put it up on a pedestal, that is idolatry. There is the idolatry of one's family and connections. When you put your family and what you do in your family ahead of the Word of God and ahead of God's priorities, that makes your family and your family connections into idols. There, there is the idolatry of possessions and of property and of things. And when we put our property and possessions and things ahead of the will of God, that is idolatry, the idolatry of our personal possessions. Now, people may object and they say, well, God gave me the strength. God gave me the inclination. God gave me the... Yes, but God has given us His Word and everything must come under the direction of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. And there is... No equivocation, and there is no room, no wiggle room, because idolatry is idolatry. And you remember what John wrote at the end of 1 John. He said, little children, flee. He said, flee from idols. No idols. Run from idols. Get away from idols. That's it. All right. Keep yourselves from idols. There is the idolatry of your job, your vocation, your business, your work. People say, well, I just want to do my very best. But if that's elevating it above God, above His will, above His Word, that's idolatry. 
There is the idolatry, and this is rampant. Rampant in Northern Virginia, rampant in Woodbridge. I would say it might even be rampant in our church. It is the idolatry of sports, of athletics. There's nothing wrong with athletic activity. There's nothing wrong with being physically fit. But if sports, athletics comes ahead of the will of God, the Word of God, it is idolatry and it is wrong. There is the idolatry of religiosity. That is the, the, the placing of traditions and ideas and concepts, uh, putting uh, the, the things, uh, the traditions of, of uh, religious activity ahead of the Lord. There is the idolatry of physical attraction, of sex, of, of uh, the opposite gen uh, gender. And uh, there are those who are, are, uh, are addicted to this. There is the idolatry of knowledge. People that say, well, I just want to know everything there is to know. I want to be the smartest guy on the block. And there is idolatry when we place that above the Word of God and above God's priorities. There is the idolatry of personal prestige and power when people want to be so accepted. They want to have so much power and they want to have so much money. And whatever it may be, you cannot serve God and mammon. And it is difficult for any person who will not simply say, I'm not going to allow anyone, anything, any idea to be above God and His will for me. Now, there's going to be a difficulty because you're going to be trying to serve two masters, and you can't do it. That's when life is so difficult. We need to be able to make choices based upon the will of God and the Word of God and run to God when we flee from idolatry. Everything that would draw us away, everything that would cause us to, to leave our first love and to cool off and not to be serving the Lord as we ought to serve Him. We want to move on now. It says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Now, our wisdom has to be biblical wisdom. There it is. It is the, the hope, the desire of the Apostle Paul that those with whom he works will be able immediately to, uh, to sense it spiritually. Uh, hopefully uh, that meter will go uh, off um, uh, right away and uh, the red flags will start uh, waving uh, very, very uh, rapidly whenever, whenever there is the danger of idolatry in any area of our life. The cup of blessing which we... We bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now what Paul is about to say is using the Lord's Supper and the, the gathering point there of the Lord's Supper, it identifies people with the Lord Jesus Christ, with His death, burial, and resurrection, and then identifies those people of like mind and faith with one another. So that's why it's the communion of it. It's not because we use the word communion about the Lord's Supper. We say we're going to have communion. And a lot of people are just thinking about the cup and what's in the cup and the, the uh, uh, broken bread and what's you know, comprised there and what it tastes like and what it feels like and so on and so forth and what goes on in that observance. But that's not it. What's in view here is what draws people together with what they identify. And here we have the cup of blessing. Participation in the Lord's Supper identifies us as worshipers of who? The Lord Jesus. Not worshipers of the ritual or worshipers of the church in which it occurs or worshipers of the people who are in charge of the church in which it occurs, but we are worshipers of the one that we are observing the elements in memory of. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we identify with. He's the one that brings us together. There you have it. For we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. So they identified the Old Testament with the Old Testament, uh, the, the tabernacle, later the temple, and uh, the observance of what was done there on the altar. What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. All right? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, look this way. Once again, the Lord's Supper, the table, is to identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ that is represented there by broken body, shed blood. With Jesus Christ. The table of devils identifies us with Satan and his crowd. So if you're going to identify with Satan and his crowd in any organization, in any gathering, in any membership, in any association, in any meeting, any central, if you identify with them, how can you identify with them and then say you identify with Jesus Christ? That's what the scripture is saying. This is where separation comes in. We need to be very careful that we're not identifying with something that is contrary to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ and to this book, the Bible, because if we are identifying, joining up, yoking up with that, how can we then say with a straight face that we're identifying with Jesus Christ? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Now, He is saying that under grace... He could belong to this. He could go with this group. He could go with that group or whatever. But he says it's, it's not expedient. It doesn't, notice what it says here. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. We have to put our associations and that with whom we identify uh, on the basis of does this, does this glorify the Lord? Does this build up the believer? Does this strengthen me in my holy resolve or not? If the opposite is true, then we need to come out from among them and be separate. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Where's, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right, let's just stop for a moment. He's now addressing the subject of why people buy the meat that they buy why they eat what they eat, and what it may affect spiritually in each case. He's, he's saying this. He's saying we ought to be careful about the other person. We ought to want, want to desire the best of the other person for the other person. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. The word shambles, the underlying text, is speaking of the open-air market. So that's where they would go. They didn't have, they didn't have Safeway or Wegmans or Harris Teeter, or Giant, or any of the other uh, grocery stores, Whole Foods, or, or any of those grocery stores. They didn't have grocery stores. In those days, they had marketplaces. Uh, a great uh, amount, a great percentage of the world now sharp shops uh, outside, not indoors like we do. But uh, in those days, everybody shopped outside. 
And so he's saying, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. If you're, if you're eating some food, we as believers have no problem because we know that there is no spiritual aspect to this insofar as we are concerned. It does not make us more or less spiritual depending upon this meat, this food that's being bought or sold in the marketplace because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God made it all, and if it's good to eat, then eat it if that's the only uh, aspect of it that's under consideration. Now it says in verse 27, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast. Now we're talking about unsaved people asking you to their place to eat. And ye be disposed to go whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Now the meat that they're setting in front of you may have been involved in some pagan ritual, but don't ask them. Just go when the food's brought out, you eat it. This is the same on the mission field. It's wisdom on the part of the missionary. Just eat whatever's put in front of you. Just eat it. God will protect you. Believe me, I've been on the mission field. I've had things placed in front of me that normally I would not have ordered. But they were placed in front of me, and I consumed them. And I never asked a question. And even though stomach was flip-flopping, you know, I held it down. Praise the Lord. God gave me grace. So you don't, you don't ask for conscience sake. You don't say, now, was this ever offered to an idol? Was this anything involved in a pagan ritual? No, you don't ask that. You just sit down and you eat what is set before you. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now we have a different situation. Do you see the difference, young people? you understand the difference? See, before they put food in front of you, just eat it. But if they put food in front of you and they say, by the way, this is food that was offered to a pagan idol. This is pagan food. Then for conscience sake, you say, please have me excused. I'm sorry, for conscience sake. And it, it may momentarily offend the chef, but the person who's offering it will see that you are practicing a form of separation, biblical separation. When something is identified as wicked or sinful... So if you go to a meal, and at that meal, they call it some dirty, filthy, wicked thing that you ought to be separated from, abstain from it. Because you don't want to identify with some dirty, filthy, wicked, sinful thing, do you? So don't eat it. If they say, this is pagan, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is atheist, uh, this is our whatever unbeliever's meal, you abstain from it. You say, I can't eat that. Uh, the food may be perfectly good, smells good, food may be perfectly good, but for conscience sake, and because you've identified it as such, I'm not going to partake of it. We got free food down here at the XYZ bad place. What do you do? Abstain from it. You don't want to identify with XYZ bad place. Oh, they got really good food in this place. Abstain from it. Don't go there, don't have anything to do with it, flee from it. Run away from it. Stay away from it. Why? For conscience sake and also as a testimony of separation. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? This is very important. This is scriptural. This is the way it ought to be. It says in verse 29, Conscience, I say, not thine own, but 
of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So if it has not been identified as being associated with wickedness, coming from a wicked place or representing a wicked practice or a wicked group, then go ahead and eat unless somebody identifies it, in which case, for conscience sake, you separate from it and you identify as belonging to the Lord. Remember the difference between the Lord's table and the devil's table. All right, so we have that example given to us. Very clear. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So there it is. There it is. Lawful acts may not always be wise behavior on our part. It may not be expedient. It may not be correct in that situation. That's where the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us, and we don't participate. We do not partake of it. What we do, we're to do, number one, to the glory of God. Our concern is not our own rights. Our concern is the glory of God. Always put it on the basis, not of what is your right, but put it on the basis of what will glorify God. Where we go, who we're with, what we say, how we dress, how we behave, how we comport ourselves, it is for, and it should be to, the glory of God. You say, well, I'm afraid if I don't participate in this activity on this occasion with these people, they won't understand, and they'll be offended, and they'll, they won't like me. That's not the issue. Whether they like you or like me is not the issue. We can comport ourselves as gentlemen and ladies, and we can say, I'm sorry for conscience sake or for the matter of, of scriptural reasons, I am not going to participate in this. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to go to this place. I'm not going to participate in this activity because I want to identify as belonging to the Lord Jesus. Sometimes in certain activities, it comes down to even the details things that I've mentioned here tonight. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's it. That's it. So we're bought with a price. We're to glorify the Lord in our body and in our spirit which are God's according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. Number two, not only are we to do it first and foremost and entirely for the glory of God, but number two, we are never to become a stumbling block, whether it's to the Jews or the Gentiles, uh, to the younger members, newer members of the church, uh, those that don't understand. We are to do absolutely nothing on purpose which would offend another person and cause them to stumble uh, over our testimony. We are to love everyone and love them in the sense of loving them to the Lord and for the sake of the Lord. And we are to live out of a concern for that testimony that will draw people to Christ and not repel them. All right, so there it is. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. We ought to not give 
offense, as we have read tonight in verse number 32. And then number three, not only are we to do everything to the glory of God, number two, not to ever be a stumbling block intentionally, be careful. Number three, we are to please folks in what we do when we are able to meet those standards of glorifying God and not being a stumbling block. We are to please uh, these folks, and it covers every area, and not to seek our own profit or our own advantage. So in, in order to do that, to glorify God and not be a stumbling block, let's not say, well, I demand my rights. Oswald Chambers, one of my three favorite writers outside of the Word of God, has said the, the greatest thing that we can learn, the greatest thing that we can ever do in our Christian experience is to lose and to learn to lose our rights to our own selves. We need to learn to lose our rights to our own selves. The Christian life is dying to a self-willed way of life. Constantly coming to Christ, coming to God, coming back to the Lord, coming back, coming back, coming back but dying to our own self-willed way of life. We don't have to have it our way all the time. We want the Lord to be glorified. And so what do we do? Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is. We need to mortify the flesh. Put to death the flesh. It says in Galatians chapter 5, in that section right there, as uh, we have the, the, uh, the uh, fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we also have the expose of the, uh, of the works of the flesh. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and the lusts. All right, let every man look not on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Amen. So there it is. Look on the things of others. So there it is. There it is. And uh, in Philippians chapter number 3, it was the Apostle Paul who, say, who says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. The loss of all things. There it is. I've got to be willing to account Everything is nothing, as worthless in order to, number one, glorify God. Number two, not cause a person, whether saved or lost, a new believer or an established believer to stumble. And then number three, all the time being willing to step back and not please ourselves, but rather to consider the larger, uh, more important venue. And that venue is what would please the Lord and what would bring Him the glory. We need to be mostly concerned about that as we comport ourselves as children of God, as His very own and not as our own. We do not belong to ourselves anymore, but we have given it all up. We've given up our rights to God and said, Lord, you lead my life. You do what you would, what you want with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Nobody looking tonight and you'd say preacher something in the word of God about this manner of living of dying to self has spoken to my heart 
in the message. Slip your hand up high. Something spoken to me. Amen. Are we willing to truly do that and say, Lord, I want your way and your will in my life. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to desire your own way, we pray. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, would you pray right now from your heart to God? Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.